Well, my name is Kenny Rager, and I serve with your Kentucky Baptist Convention as a member of the evangelism team, as an evangelism strategist. And my task is to help this side of Kentucky all the way over to Hickman and Fulton, if you know where that's at, all the way over to that area, helping churches in the area of evangelism and strengthening their churches in the area of outreach. And on behalf of the Kentucky Baptist Convention, we would like to say thank you to a church like Valley Creek for giving through the cooperative program. For as you give through the cooperative program, every time you give at your local church, part of that goes to the cooperative program, which helps support missionaries all across the state of Kentucky, like myself, but, but also included in that is Onita Bible Institute, Sunrise Children's Services, Clear Creek Bible College, and not to mention the great global work that we're doing from the Sin Cities all across the United States to over 3,300 missionaries that we are putting on the field full-time that do not have to come home and, and raise support because you're giving through the cooperative program. So on behalf of the Kentucky Baptist Convention, we want to say thank you to Valley Creek Baptist Church for being part of the KBC family and for giving through the cooperative program. Brother Andrew, thank you so much for the invitation. And know that we are praying for Valley Creek as you guys are in a time of transition and seeking God's will for your church. And if the KBC can be of any help to you all during this time, we'll be more than happy to do whatever we can. If you have a copy of God's Word with you this morning, I want you to turn in uh, your Bibles this morning to the book of Matthew chapter 6. Brother Andrew told me that you guys have been slowly moving through the Lord's Prayer. So let's talk a little bit about prayer this morning. And we're going to be finishing the Lord's Prayer up today, specifically in verse 13. As you're turning there this morning, I, I recently read a story about a pastor who really liked to hunt. Do we have any hunters in the house today at all? Okay, like one. Okay, that surprises me actually, but one person hunts in this room today. All right, but a pastor really wanted to hunt, and he, so he decided to maybe play a little hooky from church one day to go hunting. And as he did that, he was out hunting, and sure enough, a bear approached him. And he got so close to him that he didn't have time to shoot anything. And he turned around and he was startled and he, he dropped his gun and it was a big, fierce bear. It was up north and he just was scared. So he dropped to his knees and he said, oh Lord, deliver me. I pray that this bear is a Christian bear. And all of a sudden, as the big grizzly growled and snarled, it paused after that prayer. And it stood up, clasped his paws together, and prayed, Father, thank you for the meal I'm about to receive. You know, we often find ourselves in danger and in trouble and all kinds of issues because there really is an enemy that's out to get us. And it's at this time that we need to be praying for God to help us and to deliver us from the enemy that often wants uh, to come against us. If you've, as you've been learning about the Lord's Prayer, one of the key parts of the Lord's Prayer is what? Your kingdom what? Help me, Valley Creek. Your kingdom come. What does that mean? God's rule and reign over your life. But in addition to that, it also means that we reach out and we expand God's kingdom through the work of missions and the work of evangelism. And let me tell you something, when we are about sharing God's word, when we are about missions, when we are about winning people to Christ, understand when we pray, God, your kingdom come, that that's going to attract the enemy. That will attract the enemy. Why? Because the enemy does not want to give up any territory, none whatsoever. 
He doesn't want to see anybody cross over from death to life. So what will the enemy do? Satan hates God. He hates God's children. He hates God's church. And Satan hates the mission of the Christian and God's mission and the mission of the church. So what does he do? He uses temptation to make us weak. If he can get the Christian to fall into temptation and to become weak and sick, he renders them ineffective. If he uses often physical attack upon us to discourage us, but yet we cannot cease to reach our communities. We cannot cease the cause of missions because if we pray, Lord, your kingdom come, your will be done, we must be about missions and evangelism. We must be if we're praying that. But understand that if we pray that, we'll attract the enemy. So what do we do? Well, Valley Creek, if we want God's kingdom to expand, if we want to see more people get saved and God's kingdom and rule and reign to show up, we must be committed to prayer. Can I get an amen or an oh me on that one today? If we want to see God's kingdom come, we must be committed to prayer. Let's stand to honor the reading of God's word. Matthew chapter 6, starting in verse 9. Our Lord is teaching his disciples how to pray. He's teaching us how to pray. Let's read the whole prayer together. The word of God says this. Pray then like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And forgive us of our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And check this part out. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. God, may you bless your word. You can have a seat. The Lord's Prayer, as you've been learning, is a model prayer. Uh, some theologians have often said that we, we kind of do it an injustice calling it the Lord's Prayer. It should really be called the Disciples' Prayer because Jesus is teaching the disciples how to pray. It's a, it's a model prayer. It's not just to be recited or, or, or incantation. It's a way that shows us how to pray. So, for example, when we say our Father in heaven, we're identifying that we have a relationship with God and a family of God. When we say your name be honored as holy or hallowed be your name, we are dedicating our lives and our body and our spirits and our service to honor his name. When we say your will be done, we're saying, hey, Lord, I'm going to pray in a way that says, God, it's not about me. It's about you. When we say your kingdom come, we're praying for God's reign to be on our life, but also for evangelism and missions to be at the forefront of what we're thinking. Give us today our daily bread. We're not worried about tomorrow. We're asking God to take care of us in this moment, not to let us be anxious or full of fear. But yet, when we pray, God, forgive us of our debts as we, have, as, as we are forgiven, as we forgive those that sin against us, those that are our debtors, we're saying, God, you have given us grace. So, Lord, if I have B for problems or something with somebody else, God, I'm going to extend the same grace to them that you've extended to me. And then you get to this part. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Verse 13 helps us to get serious about prayer. And it helps us to know that as we pray for our needs, as we pray for a closer relationship with God, it also shows us that we must pray against spiritual warfare and spiritual attack that will come our way. So I believe verse 13 of what we read teaches us some, some great principles 
And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. So when we pray, there's three things I want you to be aware of of why verse 13 is so important. Verse 13 is so important of the Lord's Prayer first for this reason. Because we are to be aware of danger. We are to be aware of danger. Now look back at the text, okay? Look at verse 13. And lead us not into what? What does it say, church? Lead us not into temptation. Well, what is temptation? Um, It could be defined like this. An endeavor or an attempt to cause someone to sin. An endeavor or an attempt to cause somebody to sin. Somebody to transgress against God. Somebody to disobey God's call. It's It's an attack. It's an endeavor. It's a cause to get you to disobey God. And here's the bad news. You ready? You want some bad news today? We as humans are very, very prone to sin and temptation. Newsflash. Did you know that? We're all prone to sin. James 1, 14 through 15 says this, but each person is tempted when he is drawn away and enticed by his own evil desires. Then after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And when sin is fully grown, it gives birth to death. It says here that that when we are drawn away, when we are thinking about ourselves as often when we fall into temptation, when we get me-centered, me-focused, and what does it lead to? Temptation leads to sin, and sin leads to what? Death. Romans 6.23, for the wages of sin is what, church? Death. What is death? It's the absence of life. It's the killing of something. It's, It's over. It's the end. It's death. Now, ultimately, the lost person has succumbed to sin. The person that's never given their life to Jesus is spiritually dead. But yet for those of us as Christians who have been brought from death to life, that we have been forgiven of our sins, yet when we turn, our, when we turn away from God and we go back to sin, though that, that doesn't, we don't lose our salvation, we are still forgiven. But yet when we go to sin, when we give in to temptation, there is still a danger there. You're going to something that God has not blessed. You're dealing with something that does not have God's approval and God's blessing on it. And therefore, though it may not eternally condemn you because you've given your life to Jesus, it will make you sick. It will hurt you. And it will make you feel bad. It will hinder your relationship with God. It will hinder your relationship with others. And it will most definitely impact your effectiveness in the area of evangelism and missions. If you as a Christian are struggling and backslidden in sin today, understand that you are in a very dangerous position. Not that you'll lose your salvation, but that you will be spiritually sick and ineffective. I don't know about you, but I don't want to be ineffective for Jesus. Anybody else? I don't want to be ineffective for the Lord. But Christians do not have to be overcome by sin. We believe that Jesus has died for us on the cross, that he was buried for us, and praise God, on the third day he rose from the grave, and we now have new creation living in us. Amen? The Spirit of God has been placed inside of us, and we are a new creation. We are now girded with the spiritual armor of God. That's why Paul can write in 1 Corinthians 10, 13. No temptation has come upon you except that which is common to humanity. 
But God is faithful. He will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able. But with temptation, he will also provide the way out so that you can bear it. Jesus makes a promise. You know, we often misquote this, say God will never give you anything you can't handle. No, <laughs> we can't handle anything in this life. Did you know that? That's why we need Jesus. We misquote that verse from 1 Corinthians. What the Lord says is that he's not going to give you, he's not going to let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. Because the Holy Spirit of God lives in you and through the power of God, you don't have to say yes to sin anymore. Ain't that good news? That's good news. Unfortunately, though, we don't always do that, right? We forget the dangers of sin. We forget how dangerous sin is. So, so we fall into sin. And I'm going to tell you something. When a church begins to fall into sin, when its people are backslidden and walking away from God, that is a very, not only dangerous for them personally, but it is dangerous for the church. Um, I recently read that LifeWay Research conducted a study post-pandemic, and they discovered that in 2019, uh, 4,500 Protestant churches closed in the year 2019. 4,500 churches closed. Why is that? I'm sure there's a variety of reasons. But I would say possibly that some of those reasons that those churches closed is because somewhere down the road they forgot the power of sin and the danger of sin. And as a result of that, they succumbed to temptation and God removed his hand off of that church. We need to pray that God opens our spiritual eyes. Amen? That we understand that sin is not good. It is not blessed. It is not good. It stinks. And it will destroy and decay and corrode every single thing it touches. So understand the danger of sin. But number two, we have to be aware of the danger of sin. But number two, we need to now pray for divine leadership. Be aware of the danger and pray for divine leadership. Look back at verse 13 of, 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 of the Lord's Prayer. What does it say? And lead us not into temptation. Lead us not into temptation. Or bring us, do not bring us into temptation. We pray that God will not lead us into temptation. We're asking for God's leadership over our lives. We're asking for God's will and way. Well, what does that mean? Does, does that mean if I don't pray for God to lead me out of temptation that God's going to put me in a temptation? Absolutely not. James 1.13 says this, No one undergoing a trial should say I'm being tempted by God, for God is not tempted by evil, and he himself doesn't tempt anybody. God does not tempt you with sin. That's not in his character. It's not who he is. That's not what the Lord does. The enemy is the one who tempts you, not God. Now, he may put tests in your life. He may put trials in your life, but he doesn't tempt you with sin. Our, tempt our temptation comes from the enemy. But understand this, what we're praying, Lord, lead us not into temptation. We're not praying that God won't, that, Lord, I'm afraid you're going to tempt me. No, that's not what we're praying. Instead, we're praying, God, direct my path. Lead me in a way where I won't be tempted. God, have control over my life. Lead me in such a manner, in such a way that I won't be tempted. You know, even Jesus himself was tempted. Did you know that? He went to the desert, squared off with Satan. He won. If we were in his shoes, we would have lost. Actually, we did lose, didn't we? And you know why? Because we're simply not strong enough 
to overcome temptation by ourselves. Some of y'all think, man, I I love some of these people that misquote Philippians 4.13. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. So they go in the gym and they're lifting weight. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And they have no idea what that Bible verse means. (laughs) None whatsoever. See, the reality is this. Philippians 4.13 isn't like to pump you up so you can go exercise. That's not the purpose of Philippians 4.13. It's teaching the principle that, you know what, you can't do nothing without Jesus. Nothing. So if you think you're strong enough to take on Satan, man, I'm just so full, I'm so excited for Jesus, I'm going to charge hell with the water gun. Well, good luck, because you're going to get burned. (laughs) Listen to what 1 Timothy 6.11 says, but you man of God, some of y'all won't like this, but listen, but you man of God, run from these things. Run from these things and pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, endurance, and gentleness. You know what the answer to overcoming temptation is? Don't fight it. Don't fight it. Instead, go to the Lord and ask him to fight it for you. Ask God to be your strength. Ask the Lord to be your power. Ask God to supernaturally invade and interrupt that temptation. And ask him to lead you away. Not to put you in areas of your life that trigger you or that that you know that will make you stumble or that you know that will cause you to, to fall in. God, just... Lead me down the path to keep me away from sin. We need to pray daily for God's leadership in our life. Lord, lead me in such a way that I'm not around the junk that I will fall victim to. God, direct my path. Lord, light my way. So we pray to be aware of the danger. We pray for divine leadership. And number three, we pray for deliverance. Look at the very last part of verse 13. It says, what, but deliver us from evil. Some translations will translate that as from the evil one, from the tempter, from Satan, the accuser of the brethren. Understand that the Bible does not teach that Satan is a metaphor. It does not teach that he's an allegory or a fairy tale. He is a real, actual being. The the Bible clearly teaches that Satan uh, was an angel that rebelled against God, who fell from heaven, he, he his, was pride was his major sin. He was there in the garden. He was literally there in the garden. And now today, he, and by the way, Satan is, is not this, you know, dude with pitchforks and tails and goat horns that comes out on Halloween to scare you. No, he, the Bible actually says he's an angel of light, masquerades in truth, or masquerades in light to deceive you. He masquerades in, in light to deceive you. He, he's, a, he's a tempter. He's a, he's a foul He's not in hell. He's on earth. He will one day be in hell. But he's very dangerous. He gives spiritual attack. He gives, he gives physical attack. His purpose is to derail you from God's purpose and God's mission and God's plan for your life. But the good news is that Christ overcame him in the desert. And even better, he overcame him at the cross. And even better, he really, really overcame him at the resurrection. And you ready for something really, really, really awesome? When he returns, he's going to sign, seal, and deliver him into hell. It'll all be over. One depiction of Satan is that of a roaring lion. 1 Peter 5, 8, be sober-minded, be alert. Your adversary, the devil, is prowling around like a roaring lion 
looking for anyone he can devour. Though he is already condemned to hell, he is still roaring and attempting to, to, to tempt Christians and hurt Christians and, and, and sabotage God's work all across the world. Um, he is a roaring lion. I read a, a, a blog post by a vet by the name of Jerry Hay, if I'm saying his name correctly. And he works with, with exotic animals and wildlife animals and that sort of thing. It was the, the craziest story. He was called to a zoo to help a lion that had busted his teeth open. He had apparently been chewing on such hard bones and rocks and whatnot that this lion had cracked all of his teeth. And the vet was called upon, now listen to this, to give him stainless steel teeth cappings for the lion. And I was reading on the blog about how they were going to do dental work on this lion. And this guy, it's, it's so funny because I'm thinking there's going to be this like professional way of doing this. He says, so here's what we did. We took a blowgun with a dart and we shot it at the lion. And then when he passed out, we threw a rock at him to make sure he was asleep. And then when we got close enough to him, we poked him with a stick just to make sure. Now, why is he so afraid of a lion with no teeth that's been shot with a blowgun, had a rock thrown at him, and poked with a stick? You ready? Because that thing could still kill you. That's why. If that thing came back to life, teeth or no teeth, you going down. Y'all with me on that? Let me tell you something. Our enemy has had his teeth yanked out. That happened at the cross of Jesus 2,000 years ago, and he is condemned to hell. But understand something. He is still roaring as a lion, and he is still prowling, looking for people to devour. So we as Christians do not need to treat the enemy lightly. Instead, we need to pray for God's deliverance from satanic and demonic attack and ask God to deliver us. We need to pray for this deliverance over our lives and our churches and our community that only Christ is powerful enough to deliver us from the throes of Satan. So what, Kenny? What, what, how do I apply all of this, verse 13 of the Lord's Prayer? How, I've been learning how to pray, and now you've introduced the devil into the mix of it. What's up with all this? Like, What am I supposed to do with this? Well, today, if you're committed to growing as a disciple of Jesus, for his way and will to be done in your life, for you to have a prayer life where you honor God and love God, you need to be praying for spiritual protection around your family. And you need to be praying for spiritual protection around your church. Amen? As you guys are in transition, you need to be praying for your church, asking God not to let the devil get into the details. Am I right? Being committed to building a hedge of protection around your family and your church. But listen, and yourself, asking God to keep you close to him. Unfortunately, there are some people that can never pray any part of the Lord's Prayer. None of it. You know why? Because it starts off saying, Our Father. And there may be somebody in here today where you know that there's a God, 
but he's not your father. You have disobeyed, you have run away, you've never received him as your savior, you've never been adopted into his family. And as a result of that, you are on the enemy's sidelines today. And if you were to die in that position of not being forgiven, of not knowing Christ as your savior, you would split hell wide open. You really would. So you need Jesus in your life. Before you can ever pray the Lord's Prayer, it's got to begin with our Father. So have you ever prayed, Lord, would you come into my life? Would you forgive me of my sins, my failures, and bring new life into me? Maybe today, that's the very first prayer we need to pray. I'm going to ask if our praise team would begin to come and to play softly this morning. But today, I'm going to challenge you, Valley Creek, to do something as a, at the conclusion of your sermon series on the Lord's Prayer. I want you this morning to come out of your seats here in a moment when we begin to pray. And I want you to gather with your families. And I want you to begin to pray for God's protection over your families, over your church, over your communities, and even that God would lead you away from temptation. Can we do that, Valley Creek? You're in transition. You need to pray for God to give you the leadership and the guidance and the direction. So here in a moment, as we begin to play, I'm going to invite you all to come as a church family. I'm going to ask you, Brother Andrew, would stand down in the front. Maybe there's someone today that needs to receive Christ as their Savior. This would be the perfect day to come and to give your life to Jesus. Bow your heads and pray with me. Father, we thank you. We thank you for your love and goodness. We thank you for your grace. We ask you in this moment now to, Lord, open up our hearts to help us to receive you and to know you. God, and I pray that you, Lord, would bind the enemy from our church, our families, and our communities. And we pray this in your name. Amen.